This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Future of E-Learning, a market scale podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we did a lot of consolidation a few months ago. Now we have our podcast under uh, these different umbrella podcasts. We have Market Scale Radio, Technology, The Future of E-Learning, and Market Scale Manufacturing. So if you want EdTech-specific content, this is the place to get it. You're going to get more Kevin Hogan episodes of Remote Possibilities, as well as J.W. Marshall bringing some online learning minutes, and of course, regular EdTech insights on the future of e-learning. So make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and going to our website, marketscale.com industries for edtech content and more B2B vertical industry content. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're breaking down how to design an engaging asynchronous learning experience. And this is particularly important uh, because of the global educational context of our current moment, uh, covid has absolutely changed how we view education, not just in the organized public sense, uh, but also education and learning in businesses and more casually, uh, forcing us to rethink and forcing designers of that ed tech content to rethink, well, how should we bring this content to people in a way that is engaging, but also flexible and malleable? And is now the time to rethink what synchronous versus asynchronous learning really means? So, to break this all down, give us more context, and pull from his own insights, I'm pleased to welcome Graham Glass, the CEO and founder of Cypher Learning. And Cypher Learning is a company that provides learning platforms for schools, universities, organizations, and entrepreneurs around the world. We've had several Cypher guests on the podcast before, but now we're speaking with the CEO, Mr. Graham Glass. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for inviting me on your show, Daniel. Absolutely. Um, it's a pleasure to host you, and I am looking forward to getting your thoughts on this subject. So let's go ahead and jump in. I want to start with uh, really just a definition in today's terms. So can you define what synchronous and asynchronous learning mean in today's learning environments, uh, if you had to give it some modern context? Yeah, I certainly can. And I will say for the record that I am actually an educator myself. So I used to teach computer science at UT Dallas, and I founded and ran a professional training company for businesses. So I'm somewhat coming coming at this question from my own personal experience. So there's actually kind of a range, almost a taxonomy of different teaching styles. The, the one that's the most obvious is your typical in-class training. So for example, if you're in a university and your professor walks in the door and they're up on a whiteboard talking with the students, that's the in-person synchronous model. That's the one that most people are familiar with. It's, it's actually really good for building human relations um, and people can interject with their questions at any time. But as you pointed out, especially in the time of this virus, it's not really very practical or scalable. So the, the next part of the taxonomy is what you might call web-based synchronous. So it's attempting to be very close to the classroom, except that you're not physically in the same room but you're still using a video. And a lot, of, a lot of professors or high school teachers 
or trainers are moved to that in step one because that's the one that they're really the most familiar with. But one of the things they quickly realize, especially with everyone's schedules messed up as they are, you can't always guarantee that everyone is going to be online at the same time. So the next step in the taxonomy is what we call pure asynchronous. So that's the one where the teacher creates all the materials, all the quizzes, assessments at time T, and then at some other time, um, a student comes online and runs through those courses pretty much on their own. That one's a lot more scalable, but the trouble is if you get really stuck, who do you talk with? So the last part in the taxonomy is what we call hybrid async, which is one which is primarily going at your own pace on your own, but with the option of at any point um, engaging with a, another human, with, especially with an instructor. And uh, that's actually becoming a more common model as people are experimenting, where students will maybe go two days on their own, and then maybe on Wednesday afternoon, there's a real-time Zoom conference with their instructor. So there's a lot more to say about async, but I would say in-person synchronous, then web-based synchronous, pure asynchronous, and then the hybrid async model. Those are the four main, main approaches that we've seen. Now, I know most people, when they talk about synchronous versus asynchronous, they bring it up in that kind of binary. There really isn't uh, the sort of spectrum that you gave us. It's just, all right, we're going to do asynchronous versus synchronous learning. Uh, do you think learning strategy can still be defined in that kind of tight binary? Why or why not? Yeah, well, I would say the, the bigger taxonomy is really the different kinds of asynchronous. So I think the world is beginning to realize quite quickly that moving asynchronous is really the, the most practical, scalable model. But, but within the realm of asynchronous, there are a whole different set of different ways that you can do asynchronous training. And where do you see Cypher learning uh, leaning into that spectrum? Is there a specific uh, one of those four that you broke down, in-person synchronous, remote synchronous, pure asynchronous, or hybrid asynchronous, that Cypher learning sees as having the most potential for the future of education, uh, not just in schools, but beyond? Well, yeah. So as I mentioned in my previous comment, there's definitely different kinds of asynchronous training. Right. Um, Cypher learning just as a whole, we, we're a big believer in, I would call it, sophisticated asynchronous training. So I'll just give you an idea of the taxonomy of different styles within the area of asynchronous. The simplest one, which is the one that, for example, LinkedIn Learning uses, is what you might call linear autoplay. So where the content is primarily videos, each video might be a few minutes long. You might divide the entire course up into a series of videos and then basically the learner starts and clicks play. It plays video number one, waits a few seconds, plays video number two, and you go right through the way the course, drinking your cup of coffee, listening to the video. So LinkedIn Learning and Masterclass, there are two examples of that. Now, of course, one of the issues with that is you have no idea whether the learner, as they're going through, is getting lost or not. And so ideally, you'd have some form of, of gating or hurdles involved. So the next kind would be linear with hurdles, where you might have three videos followed by a quiz, and you have to get the quiz right before you can get to the next set of videos. So that's linear with hurdles, and maybe at the very, very end, there's a big kind of final quiz to make sure you got it all. Now, a more sophisticated version of that is pure random access. So you move away from forcing a linear flow, and then you say, okay, you can take all of these various modules 
in whatever order you want. And a sophisticated learner might enjoy that because they can flip around and they can, if they get stuck, they can go back and they can find another module that they can do. But a less sophisticated learner can get a bit confused when they can go in any order whatsoever. So the fourth version is what we call static branching. And that's what you say you basically curate within a course a few particular uh, branches. So for example, if the course was on databases, uh, there might be one a series of modules on transactions, might be another one based on SQL optimization, but you would go through each one of those branches in whichever order you want. And that works out great, but one, one thing to note about it is that every learner goes through the very same material. Now, the very last version of asynchronous training, which is what we prefer, and that's what we espouse to our customers, is what we call dynamic branching or adaptive branching. And the general idea is you create a course with a series of modules. Those modules could be a mix of videos and assessments. And then based on how the student is doing and which topics they are mastering and how they're getting stuck, you actually guide them through the content in an intelligent way. So just to recap, we go all the way in one end of the spectrum to from linear autoplay, linear with hurdles where you've got little quizzes, pure random access, static branching, but you end up with what we call dynamic and adaptive branching. That's really the approach that we, we think is the best. Do you find that it's the best in part because it allows the learner to take control of their learning experience more directly? And if so, what impact does that control over your learning experience have almost, you know, psychologically, but I guess also just more uh, materially on your ability to process that information? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes it a more enjoyable and efficient process for the learner. If you've got a very advanced learner, there's no point in guiding them through a whole bunch of modules that for them might be boring and remedial. And similarly, you might have a disadvantaged learner who's getting left behind. In those cases, you can adapt to where they are and actually give them remedial materials, uh, more examples, more careful assessments. So I think the learner feels like they're, that the system is adapting to their needs. That makes it more enjoyable for them, for sure. But I do think that there's, there's quite a few techniques that we we, we support in our platform and encourage our customers to do that actually make it intrinsically more um, enjoyable and targeted for their learners. All right, quick little detour here for more context. You mentioned this up top, but after you finished your formal education, you became a professor of computer science at the University of Dallas. Uh, and you eventually founded a business training program as well. So it was in these environments that you had experience crafting education rather than just receiving it. And not everyone obviously gets to enjoy that double-sided coin. So what did you learn about your learning methodologies and the application of synchronous versus asynchronous models when you were the one honing a curriculum in computer science or honing a strategy for businesses to better train their employees? Yeah, that brings back very good memories, Daniel. So <laughs> I would say I definitely learn a few things that I I still espouse to these days. First of all, I try to make the, the actual education process very meaningful and practical for my students. So I was one of the only people in those days at UT Dallas that was using project-based le learning for everything that I taught. So for example, if you were taking a course in programming languages from me, then I might teach everyone, here's how you build a neural network. And people loved hearing about AI in those days. 
And so they would learn how to build a neural network, but behind the scenes, they were actually learning all the programming language um, things that I wanted them to learn. So first of all, I always made it project-based learning, so students found it very interesting. Second of all, you know, back in those days, a lot of people would go up to a whiteboard and they would scribble for 45 minutes out of the hour. And I always thought in those days that was really a big waste of time because I wanted, I wanted to engage my students and talk about cool and inspiring things. So I used to spend a lot of time pre-preparing the lecture materials so that the students had access to it, you know, either before the lecture or during the lecture without having to take any notes at all. Therefore, they could actually just concentrate on the most meaningful stuff. That's now become popularly known as the flipped classroom. But back in those days, it was just really a question about, you know, making your, your courses as, as entertaining as possible. I would say another thing is, as I learned the subject matter better and better, I had very good mental roadmap of when the student gets stuck, here is a very efficient way to get them unstuck. Whether it was referring them to a YouTube video, giving them another analogy, giving them some additional remedial materials. But in those days in, in the, on the campus, all of that stuff was done in your office hours. So it really wasn't a very efficient thing to do. And, uh, and I would have to do that again and again and again. Whereas in the Cypher Learning platform, for example, you can actually use a rules engine to say, if somebody gets stuck in this material for more than one day, automatically send them this link and automatically notify the instructor and automatically unlock some remedial material. So one of the things I wanted to do with our platform is to allow any instructor to much more efficiently do what I was basically doing manually back in those days in, in UT Dallas. So now how do you find yourself applying those insights uh, when crafting Cypher Learning's uh, LMS solutions? Well, as I mentioned, you know, we, we built in things like a rules engine. Right. So you can automatically take actions based on things that you learn about the user. Another thing that we did is we built in gamification. And this comes under the heading of keeping people motivated, even though they might not be in a traditional classroom. So, for example, in Cypher Learning Platform, you can set up a game with a series of levels to be achieved. You can use automation to specify when learners get points, when they get badges. You can trigger all kinds of fun actions to be achieved when they level up. So, for example, we've been chatting with professors who go, when the students get to the first level, we automatically give them a certain, you know, 10 points towards their final grade, uh, and we automatically give them a badge. When they get to level two, then we give them all kinds of additional goodies. And people t do tend to quite enjoy uh, a little fun competition. So with our system, you can see where you rank in your, in your course, or you can even have team games. So if you have the red team and the blue team, and it's, say, in a sales department in, a, in an organization, then the red team and blue team can accumulate points by achieving certain milestones in the course and have really good fun competing against each other. And I think that's a very important thing because it does keep people pretty motivated whether or not they happen to be um, in the same room as each other. Um, one other thing that we recently announced, which I think is a world's first, I'm not aware of any other LMS that does this, but we've got a special thing called um, activity display. And when you, go in, when you log into the system, you will see a set, a set of graphical tiles of all the courses that you're enrolled in or teaching. And there's a little pulsing light 
whose size and frequency indicates how much activity there is currently going on um, in that course. So right off the bat, when you log in, it's not like you're just staring at a brick wall. It feels like you're walking into a community and there's stuff going on. Then when you go into a course, we've got a real-time widget that refreshes every second that shows you all of the community activity going on in that particular course. And once again, it provides learners and instructors with a sense of community, which I think is especially important given the fact that, you know, because of this virus, more and more people are working from home um, and sometimes in an asynchronous manner. So let's take these insights now and apply them to the current moment. Like I said, COVID has really reshaped how we interact with education and therefore I think reshaped uh, how people want to out of necessity or now with a sort of um, uh, recharged imagination, how they should approach the structure of said education. So how do you see this uh, this sort of spectrum and hybrid approach to asynchronous learning being applied to our current learning and training environment today with COVID in mind, disrupting education and business? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, th thanks to companies like ours, it does bring some of the sophisticated techniques I mentioned, like adaptive dynamic learning, rule-based gamification, automation, tracking people's mastery, makes it very, very accessible. And in fact, uh, our free version of Neo has everything that I just mentioned built in. So it's not something which has to be expensive for, say, a high school, like, oh, I can't afford that stuff. We actually make that stuff freely available through our NEO platform. I would say on the flip side, unfortunately, a vast majority of LMSs don't have these features that I mentioned. So if you're using, you know, like Google Classroom or, you know, I don't know, what one of these kind of cheap and cheerful LMSs or free in Google Classroom, none of that stuff is available. So a lot of teachers, unless they've heard about the kind of features that I'm mentioning might just think it's science fiction because when they go to school, none of these things are there. It's basically like the good old days all over again. Um, so I am hoping that because of this virus, because more people are realizing how good asynchronous learning can be, it will encourage more vendors to provide this kind of uh, feature set because, you know, these are things that are readily available. We're not talking about stuff that's, you know, coming 10 years down the line. And in fact, in our case, uh, very soon we're going to be releasing AI integration with Amazon, uh, the Amazon AI APIs, so that the system gets even smarter. So all you need to do is to say, I want to learn photosynthesis, and then the learning platform will actually start to engage you, recommend resources for learning it, putting you in touch with other people who have the similar kind of goals, trying to find instructors that might be able to help you, and acting as a kind of an agent that um, that uh, steers your learning journey. So the good news is, is that the, the state of learning platforms is accelerating rapidly at this point. And I really do hope that educators will realize that the that asynchronous learning can actually be a fantastic way to learn. Now, I, I know the history of uh, training and learning in the corporate environment has been pretty synchronous. And for a long time, uh, corporate training was just relatively straightforward. It was chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Take you know some quizzes, make sure you retain the information, and move on. Naturally, that is changing a lot. Um, 
partially due to how education is transforming in schools and then being uh, sort of slowly brought into the business landscape, uh, but also because folks that are providing LMS platforms for businesses are also starting to realize that uh, you know, truly engaging an employee, training them, and getting them to develop new skills or uh, just lock in the basics requires a more flexible and a more uh, learner-centric strategy. And I, I think we're now seeing the fruits of that. Obviously, uh, Cypher Learning has been doing a lot of work to bring that kind of learning platform to businesses, but I wanted to get your thoughts on why do you think the business world tended to lean towards synchronous learning in the past, and what are the variables that are transitioning the corporate or the business world more towards asynchronous learning, and uh, walk us through some of that timeline and some of the effects of that change. Yeah, I think, you know, in the early days, the main reason it was done live face-to-face was because that's just the way it had always been done. Right. Uh, you know, people would fly in. Sometimes it was almost like a social event as much as it was a learning event. I used to do a lot of training in places like Canada, literally get on an airplane, land, go to Northern Telecom and sit in a room of 20 people. It was actually very efficient from the learner's perspective because you got a whole week with your instructor. You get to do a lot of projects. It was quite good fun. We would customize the course specifically for their projects. But at the same time, it was pretty expensive. I mean, they had to pay for hotels and air flights. And in the world of virus, that's certainly not going to cut it. But I also think part of it was that the platforms themselves didn't really support anything particularly better. You know, platforms in those days were very, very linear. They were pretty boring. There was no gamification, no adaptive learning, no competency-based learning. It was all quite boring stuff. So I can easily see why the dominant form was face-to-face. But, uh, you know, as people started being a bit more careful with their money, uh, more and more people start working remotely or from their house or they got busier, it made more sense to dip their toes in the world of uh, asynchronous learning. And then I think probably within the last 10 years, using asynchronous learning for compliance, compliance learning has become the most popular because compliance is one of those ones that you do it once a year. It's like check, 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 fill out a quiz and you're done. It's more like for legal purposes. But I do think there is a, a trend in, in corporations now towards providing a self-guided training platform to, the learner, uh, to their employees in addition to traditional things like compliance learning. So, for example, a business spends a lot of money finding, screening and hiring people, and they want to make sure that those people are really happy with their career path in the company. So those, um, those employees would like to be able to learn things constantly, whether or not they're required for compliance or not. So I think what you're seeing is in platforms such as our own matrix platform is providing capabilities that even in the absence of any required training, that employees are able to say, hey, I'm very interested in becoming a digital marketing manager. And then the learning platform is starting to offer courses in that, connecting with other digital marketing managers tracking things towards you in your own uh, career path. And that's the kind of, you know, self-directed learning that you're never going to be able to do live because literally you just never know when somebody's want to, to going to want to learn something. So I do think that there is a very strong uh, direction uh, in industry towards using uh, asynchronous learning, 
not just for compliance, but also for allowing employees to do their own self-directed learning for career reasons. So then if we want to leave our audience with some tips and best practices for where to start with designing asynchronous learning models, what would those be? Where do we start and how do you do it effectively? What are some of the main questions you need to ask yourself about education goals and needs uh, and how should those inform the design of your asynchronous learning strategy? Well, I'll tell you how I design courses. So whenever I'm going to have a course on a particular area, I always start with what competencies do I want to get my learners to master? So that's kind of like the end goal. Once I've got a, a set of competencies mapped out, then I start thinking about what's the best way for my learners to learn those competencies and assess those competencies. And many times those competencies actually end up grouping into, say, three or four main areas. That then gives me a clue that, oh, in this particular course, I probably have four, four various branches through the course, each one focused on a certain set of related competencies. So that then guides the, the core structure and the core branching. Then what I think is, okay, how am I going to motivate my learners now to go through these various branches? And then I start to gamify the branches. So I find, you know, you don't want to over gamify, but there's certain key moments where you want to give somebody uh, a video message that says, congratulations. You want to give them a badge. You want to give them some points to keep them motivated. And then to, at, towards the end, when I've got the, the gamification sprinkled on, I've got the main branches, I've got the main competencies, that's when I introduce the, the final bit of adaptive learning. So I figure if people get stuck in these things, here's a remedial module that I'll put in that's hidden by default, but that gets shown automatically to those learners if they fall behind. And I also think carefully about the advanced learners. If the advanced learner finishes the course very quickly, maybe I can throw in a couple of bonus modules that will keep them engaged for, for bonus points. So that's the typical way that I normally construct a course. And of course, you know, I, I'd be using a Cypher learning platform, which has all of this stuff completely built in. So I can go directly from what I want to occur directly into the platform to, to implement that. All right, Graham Glass, CEO and founder of Cypher Learning. Any final thoughts or points that you want to communicate over to the audience about uh, benefiting from and designing an asynchronous learning experience? Is there anything we didn't touch on you want to you want to impart? Yeah, I would say the, the last thing I've got is primarily motivational, which is asynchronous learning to begin with is not necessarily intuitive, but if you try it out, I think you'll find very quickly that it is a very fun very efficient way to create learning. And so one of my ho hopes is, is that as a result of the world fast forwarding 10 years into the future with this virus, people will actually start to embrace asynchronous learning as the primary way of learning versus how it's been in the past, which is almost like the, the secondary approach. All right, Graham Glass, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, passing along your insights and giving us more information on what asynchronous learning looks like and means and how it can be applied in today's current learning environment in schools and beyond. I appreciate it. Really looking forward to chatting again in the future. Great. Thanks a lot, Daniel. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Future of E-Learning. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you are subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
and going to our website, marketscale.com slash industries for more edtech podcasts, articles, videos, and a variety of other B2B vertical industry content. And make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.